politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots standing at the ready to charge the castle of tyranny and impose freedom and liberty once again on the land. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today, Tuesday, June 21st. And for those of us who have been trying to storm that castle of the elites, I've been doing it for 15 years, and I must say not with a great degree of success, because look at where we are. So I'm always looking for new ideas, new ways of doing this. And the befuddling juggernaut I think that we have to deal with is that fat rear end standing in the corridor not allowing us to storm the castle, and that is the Republican Party. And we're, we're going to do this a little bit, you know, every week, go to different parts of the country. Tomorrow we'll talk a little bit about Idaho again. But I want to start off with Florida and Texas, the two largest red states, and show some interesting contrast between the two states, where we're holding, what lessons we could learn from there, why in some some ways one's better than the other. Um, mainly Florida is obviously better at this point. But trying to crack this nut of why is it that overwhelmingly anyone I speak to, unless I'm just living in a bubble, who would call themselves whatever term you want to give, it's outdated, conservative-based, um, you, you just you, you don't subscribe to COVID fascism, drag queens, open borders, criminals, transhumanism, all that stuff, which is really, I believe, still a majority of people, especially above a certain age, but certainly you would say almost all, Everyone who would vote Republican as opposed to voting Democrat, right? Because if you want that, you would have the option to vote Democrat. Yet, the elected representatives in those areas among their GOP, they don't reflect those values. And when we try to knock them out in primaries, it doesn't work. I mean, today is another primary day. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Uh, You know, the Alabama Senate race. Why is it? That, you know, on the one hand, the people are one way. On the one hand, the people who get it are another way. It's been said, I don't know if the numbers are exactly accurate, but roughly a third of Americans believed in the revolution, a third were indifferent, and a third were loyalists, Tories. And yet if you notice, again and again in the primaries we tend to only have about a third, and that's a third of Republican primary voters. You know, that would be, you know, a sixth, a seventh of the broader electorate. So what's going on there? Let's start with Florida. I'm going to come back to why I'm talking about this, but let's talk about Florida. Uh, If you haven't seen it yesterday, there was probably the most sensational piece to come out in a while. Uh, The magazine called New Yorker, Someone did a very long biographical expose on the Florida governor. And obviously it was meant to be hit piece, but the truth be told, for people like us, it was actually a pretty nice depiction of him. You know, as always, they make stuff up. They have some hearsay, you know, an old college friend said he was a jerk or something like that, and they don't even name the guy. But the the image they were trying to paint of him as someone who was always anti-elite, smart, studious, focused, schooled on policy, schooled on the law, schooled on the issues, unlike Trump. And, and, and you know, they are right in that. In many respects, he is the anti-Trump, that he's actually focused on the issues. He's consistent. And it's a pretty good piece, I think, whether they meant it that way or not. Part of it is because we live in different worlds to them, It's bizarre to have someone who rises to the level of governor of the third largest state, uh, you know, hyped as a potential presidential candidate who comes from such a pedigree. They can't understand that. Uh, So they kind of make fun out of it. But to us, it's like, yeah, that's that's a great story. (laughs) So anyway, there's a lot of interesting nuggets in this piece. And one thing that, that all of us didn't know about, but we learned from this piece, is that he mentions the Florida Democrat Party is so efeeble at this point 
that they had to take PPP money, you know, the bailout, the COVID bailout money, um, because they're just losing jobs there. And I was thinking to myself, you know, here you have the third largest state, lots of urban areas. Until now, it's been the consummate 50-50 battleground state. And yet, DeSantis has driven the Democrat Party into the ground to such an extent that it is, may as well be like the Democrat Party in South Dakota or Wyoming and Idaho, except it's actually even worse for the Democrats. Here's an interesting observation I thought of as I was reading this. You see in Idaho and Wyoming, certainly Wyoming and certainly South Dakota, the Democrat Party is not in bad shape. You see, no one wants the Democrats, so they kind of fold up shop. I mean, they still have a Democrat Party, but they just run as Republicans. They say they're pro-life, they say they're pro-gun, and then they're basically just conduits for the industries, and they screw us in every other issue. And they might not, not have the latitude to, you know, foist upon us pro-drag queen legislation, for example. But as you well know, it is being foisted upon us by the culture, the federal government, decades of complacency by conservatives. So the absence of active legislation and policy to fix it means you're going to suffer the status quo. And they artfully ensure that that status quo continues. So this is how you have all these red states that aren't red. Whereas in Florida, because you have DeSantis as the lead, um, he's not technically the, the head of the party, but he de facto is the head of the party, as governor. So they can't do that. They, there's nowhere for them to hide. It's not like you could have a bunch of Democrats doing that. He'll vet that out. You know, He's endorsing for legislature, endorsing for a school board. So they can't do that. So ironically, we have the Democrat party might be in the worst shape in Florida than all 50 states. It's a pretty astounding observation if you think about it, given the demographic map. You know, you would say Florida would be maybe, I don't know, the 18th, 20th, 21st most conservative state, not, not number one. But it's very interesting. That's what happens when you have intrepid leadership. We could have had this for years in every other state. But then you move on in this piece, and there was a beautiful quote here, because it's on the record, so I give him credit, he got, it, got this on the record, and this is a teachable moment. You know, obviously I have my agenda, my aphorisms, my themes, like every other talk show host, and when you come across something that perfectly exemplifies it, you get very excited, because sometimes it's hard to give over, you know, people don't understand well, the Republicans might not be great, but they got to be somewhat better, right? And I'm like, no, you don't understand. They're literally the same thing, except, yeah, they might not be slitting our throats, but they're guarding the door to make sure nobody could come in and save them. So they're just as complicit in the throat slitting as the Democrats are. And in fact, they're actually the, the misinformation war that they run on their base is a bigger problem than anything. See, if they just openly said what they were going to do, it would be fine. So, they they have a quote here that they talked to this guy, what's his name? Former chief of staff of Governor Bob Martinez. Okay, so he was one of these liberal Republicans, and the chief of staff's name was Mac... Uh, Stepanovich. And he says, quote, there was always an element of the Republican Party that was bat S-H-I-T crazy. They're referring to you and me. They had lots of different names. They were the John Birchers. They were the movement conservatives. They were the, the religious right. And we did whatever, we did what every other Republican candidate did. We exploited them. We got them to the polls. We talked about abortion. We promised and we did nothing. They could grumble, but their choices were limited. Their choices were limited. That's an astounding quote, and that exemplifies what I've been battling my entire career and what so many people don't get. They literally hate you so much, but... They, don't, they won't just say you're a jerk. They'll exploit you. They'll get you to the polls. 
they'll use the abortion issue, which is why I've really soured on that, and I'm not going to be, you know, fall for that. And then they not only do nothing, but they know that we grumble and we have nowhere to go. And that is why I believe we have to shoot the hostage. We have to be willing to take a risk and run an independent candidate that has some viable chance, some impressive background, some appeal outside of the conservative base, but certainly would uh, you know, deliver the goods on the issues that we want, or most of the issues, and uh, possibly win a three-way race, but you could possibly have a Democrat win, and so be it. But I thought that was astounding. That's what the Republican Party in Florida was until DeSantis came, and that's what it is in almost every other state. So I want I want to go on a little bit more, but first our our sponsor today, folks. Look, with inflation out of control, and even cryptocurrency tanking at least for now, gold and silver has always been the best hedge against inflation. They've held steady. Silver is actually pretty steady now, and unlike gold, it's not really at an all-time high. So there's a lot of promise in switching some of your retirement funding from Pfizer and all these companies to gold and silver. Which company do you use? Well, there's a lot of them. I trust Birch Gold. Birch Gold will help convert your IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered account in gold and silver. Uh, They have... Tons of A-plus ratings with the Better Business Bureau, satisfied customers. They've been around forever. Here's how to get started. Text DANIEL to 989898 to get a free, no-obligation info kit explaining how to convert your existing IRAs or 401ks into gold and silver. All different options. Again, text DANIEL to 989898. Don't make the mistake I did for so long and just let my money just vegetate. Gold and silver is where it's at. It's always been that way. Daniel, 2989898, to invest with Birch Gold. So there's one other point I wanted to make on Florida before I juxtapose to Texas. Um, it was noticed, people were passing this around on the internet yesterday. Charlie Crist is probably going to be the chief, uh, you know, the main sacrificial lamb that the Democrats throw up against DeSantis in Florida. Now, To begin with, it's truly unbelievable to reflect on the fact that this guy was a Republican governor. He served for one term. Okay? Like, this is what we spent the 2000s, like the last 20 years as the left was building this communist, cultural Marxist, transhumanist edifice in culture, economy, business. We were pissing around and utilized our power that we got through electing Republicans in half the country throughout that entire Bush era and even during Obama when Republicans had a lot of, you know, power in the states for most of his tenure. We wasted it on people that, I mean, Marco Rubio was the conservative challenger to him, if you remember that. It's truly unbelievable. But I'm just trying to tell you, this is what we used to have. But anyway... Someone noticed that, so Charlie Crist has an English website, you know, for his gubernatorial candidacy, and an Espanol website. And they look at the store, they have like a merchandise store, you know, t-shirts, bumper stickers, things like that. And on the English site, there's a Pride Month, like, paraphernalia for sale. And you go to the Spanish one, and it doesn't exist. What does that tell you? That tells you that these same dirtbag GOP consultants who for years said, oh, the way to get minorities is to go and, uh, you know, get rid of social conservatism. That's what they said for years. And again, not that you even need what, what we're even pushing for is not social conservatism. It's the absence of transhumanism. Right. You don't have, you don't even have to be religious to sign on to this. It's just if you're not, you're more likely to get sucked into it. But <laughs> that's why, I mean, I, I'm proudly a social conservative. I'm not running away from that. I'm just saying I find it offensive that, you, that that's even defined as social conservatism. It's like, yeah, you know, you have to be like a hardcore religious dude in order to not believe a man's not a woman. 
But that's where it's at. And to this day, Republicans still buy into that privately. Mitch McConnell, he won't touch it. He'll let this go on. And that's what's controlling most governors and GOP legislatures in most states. Yet the Democrat running in Florida knows he can't even show his face with Hispanic voters with that crap. Teachable moment. It it is, many respects, I wish Ron DeSantis never existed. Because it's such a painful thought. You know, because you could just say, maybe people like us just can't get elected. It's just impossible. It's just not going to happen. You you, you can't succeed. And then not only does he succeed, but he succeeds in a state like Florida, not like a tiny, tiny rural red state. So what is with those states? Okay, well, let's move over to Texas. On paper, our entire lifetime, Texas was much redder than Florida. It's the second largest state. Man, if we were ever to serve as a counterbalance to the culture, it would have had to be driven by Texas. So Texas is weird. It's the exact opposite. Florida, the Republican Party was horrible, and it still really isn't good. It's all being changed by one man. One man who happened to get in. So there, we have the elected top guy who's doing the right thing, and it's changing the culture. Despite the fact that the party is pretty weak, kind of similar to the way the GOP operates in most other states. Obviously, he is having his effect on it over time, but certainly as he came into office, that's what the Republican Party was there. But then you move on to Texas, and and there's something so bizarre. You have Greg Abbott, who is worthless, worthless. You know, people were arrested for not wearing masks under his reign. He's doing nothing about the border. And we're going to get to that in a minute in our discussion about Texas and Arizona. Um, Gets, you know, just sends the National Guard down there to do babysitting. Nothing. He does nothing on any issue. There's all these videos now with Dallas having all these drag queen things going on. He does nothing. Refused to call the legislature in. And then the legislature is trash. Dade Phelan, the speaker, is trash. The Senate leader is trash. They give half the chairmanships to Democrats. I mean, I'm talking about like you have teacher union Republicans as committee chairs. Okay? We try to challenge him, and we get one-third of the vote. Greg Abbott got two-thirds of the GOP primary vote, even in this environment. So it's bizarre. But then you go to the Republican Party of Texas in a vacuum. They just held a convention. And that convention has may as well been people like me and you running it. You have Matt Rinaldi, who's the party chair. He retweets me every day. He believes in everything you and I did. He kicked out the phony homosexual Republicans from there. They're very disgruntled. The Texas GOP, literally from their account, they just tweeted this out. You won't find this in any other state GOP party, and including the Florida Republican Party, by the way, from what I can see. You know, that might be changing. Things Democrats and the media want you to think are normal. Children handing dollar bills to drag queens in a bar. Child drag queens performing for adults at night clubs. Children taking puberty blockers and cutting off their genitalia. This is not normal. And they basically had a resolution condemning Cornyn. They booed him. He couldn't even show up there. Dan Crenshaw couldn't show show his face there. Um, that was the whole thing. You might have seen Alex Stein, the comedian. We had him on. He's actually a Blaze contributor now. Um, you know, he got into a dust up with him because Crenshaw kicked him out of uh, an event, and then claimed somehow that Alex Stein assaulted him, which of course isn't true. Um, then. You know, they had a resolution saying the election was stolen, and then they're calling for secession, for Texas to secede. Okay, this is not some, like, you know, third-party NGO. This is the state Republican Party and its chairman. And, you know, for for well over a decade, ever since the Tea Party, I I worked very closely with a lot of these people. They were always very hardcore, And they have a great activism base. And they're very active on the issues, and they get together, and they... It's a good party. And yet, 
for since the Tea Party for the last 12 years, we're not really making much progress. Maybe we've got a couple good guys like Bob Hall, Brian Slayton, whatever in the legislature. But the leadership and the committee chairs are dogs, and Greg Abbott is, well, something that rhymes with his last name. He's awful. It, 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 so what is going on there? You see what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's a funny seesaw. The GOP in Florida was forever like you know a bunch of liberals. And then here you get DeSantis, and he changes the whole culture. There, you still have, you know, Greg Abbott and Dade Phelan running the show. But the Republican Party is as hardcore as you can get at their convention. Yet, two-thirds of Republican primary voters voted to re-elect Greg Abbott. See what I'm saying here? And to me, what this all demonstrates is what I've been saying for so long. And I don't know what it would take, but it starts at conventions like this. They need to transfer popular primaries to state conventions. Look at the Texas State Convention. Imagine if they would be choosing the candidates who would run as the, under the Republican banner from everything from state legislature through governor, senator, congressman. Okay, imagine what the gubernatorial race would have been, whether you were with Alan West or with uh, Don Huffines. Greg Abbott would have been crushed. And again, to those that are like, Daniel, we can't have a new party, nor could you run an independent in a general election because we risk the Democrats running. I don't care about that. But even if you see that point, okay, so what are you going to do about it? And I've always said there is only one solution, and that is to do what Utah had for a while, but then it got gutted, and you have a, you have a convention. Because you'll have the people that listen to this show, people like you, that get what's going on. They understand it. They're not lied to. Think back to that quote I mentioned to you from that New Yorker piece from... Bob Martinez's former chief of staff. We radicalize them. We get them excited. We bring them to the polls. We lie to them. That's what they do. And they have more money than our candidates to do that. So at the end of the day, the, the, the two-thirds of the Republican voters in Texas, they don't really get what Greg Abbott is. He certainly didn't run on that. A third of the voters get it. And those are the type of people, by and large, in most states, who would be who be representing us at a convention. Obviously, party positions are not constitutional. There's no, you know, there's no constitutional recognition and prerogative for political parties. But if you want to apply the constitutional principles of general elections to primaries, our founders meant us to be a representative democracy, not a full democracy. People don't realize it was a very tough, vexing issue. They knew they didn't want a monarch. They knew that was wrong. They knew they wanted freedom. But you need, a, you need some form of government. So what do you do? And to this day, we don't have a perfect system. And we never will. Because the problem was, you know, the same oligarchs that get together and are become masters of the universe, they understood that most people fear God, earn a living, take care of their family, and that's it. The evil people plot and scheme, and they work together. So over time, you could have elections, but they'll manipulate it. And then, you know, they're not going to tell people, hey, we're going to enslave you. They'll tell people what they want to hear, and they'll get in there and do the opposite. And... That's the issue. I don't. I don't know what is go. What's going to happen in Alabama tomorrow with Kelly Britt versus Mo Brooks? But I can tell you, if you had a convention, Britt wouldn't even get off the ground because they all know she's a rhino. But here, Trump endorses her because he has a personal vendetta now with Mo Brooks, and you know she's certainly going to run hardcore ads, and she is. So people are like, oh, oh, that sounds great. She has Trump's endorsement. She's hardcore conservative. She's going to fight Joe Biden in Washington. 
That's what your average Republican voter thinks. I have a friend of mine I was just uh, talking politics with. Again, shares the 100% the same values as I do. But kind of, you know, through osmosis, here's like the Fox News type of stuff. So it's like, hey, well, you know, what, what, what do you think of Nikki Haley or Tim Scott? In other words, he thought they were good. And I had to set him straight. He thought they were good because that's what he hears. It's not that we disagree on the issues. It's just who represents those issues. And that's the art of politics. And there's only a certain amount of people that follow that and are able to see through the misinformation and the manipulation. That quote in the New Yorker article is perfect. That's exactly what they do. And they do that in almost every race and primary in almost every red state or red district. Now, with that, as we're talking about Texas, let's talk about some of the issues in Texas. By now, the public is totally behind the effort. We could totally win on an effort to go ahead and have states, Arizona and Texas, start deporting illegals. Everyone knows how bad it is. Hispanics know how bad it is. In fact, the Hispanic voters in southern Texas are clamoring for this action. And yet, Greg Abbott will huff, he'll puff, he won't call a special session. I mean, he could do it most of it unilaterally. Okay, but you know, let's say you want more backing to do something substantial. I appreciate that. Call a special session. He won't do it. The Texas legislature has been out of session this entire year. And again, that's another ridiculous thing that goes on. Okay? The whole notion that you need the governor to call um, the legislature into session violates the separation of powers. I understand they did it. They did it in the past because the legislature is the only one that had the power to legislate. So they wanted, as a check and balance, to kind of limit their ability to legislate to keep government small. But now that most of the bad things come from the federal and state executive branch, and you need the people to, you know, the legislature to interpose, it binds us. And we have to get rid of all these restrictions. But anyway, there's a prime opportunity, prime opportunity, and yet nothing is happening. So I think the border issue is, is a good issue that exemplifies where we are. It's true of the culture. It's true of crime. It's true of medical fascism and then the broader transhumanism that they're, they're planning upon us in that here, here, here's the political problem we face. People like Greg Abbott don't strike your average Republican voter as a guy who's getting naked at some sort of drag queen event, right? He doesn't appear that way. He kind of appears conservative-ish. So, all right, man, it might not be great. It might not be like DeSantis, but, you know, okay, he's, he's tolerable. I just, you know, he's an incumbent. He's a lot of power. We just want to defeat Pedro O'Rourke, the Democrat. Let's just go with him. And that's, that, that's the mindset of people. What they don't understand is that the absence of doing very specific things to evacuate ourselves from the problems, electing a Greg Abbott will be tantamount to electing a Beto Robert Francis O'Rourke to governor. There is no difference. Oh, Daniel, you can't say that. Yes, I can. And here's why. So we all know that the latest border numbers came out, 240,000 um, apprehensions at the border just in May. We've had three about, about 1.5 million in the first eight months of the fiscal year, 3 million since Biden took office, and about 100,000 a month. A hundred Because some of them are still turnbacks. 100,000 a month are being dumped into every corner of our country. Now, those are the ones they catch. I have an article out, Bill Malugin from Fox News reports, that so far, for the first eight months of FY 2022, about 446,000 gotaways have been estimated. Now, I spoke with a border agent friend of mine yesterday, because he does this. That count is probably less than 50% of the gotaways. Okay, so when you talk about the fact that we let out 100 
you know, yeah, uh, probably about a million illegals a year are being released from the ones apprehended. And then we're going to have, by their estimates, roughly 50,000 a month of gotaways, the people that we never interdict. And those are the ones with the criminal records. Heck, the ones that we interdict too are bad. A lot of them are sex offenders. They might not have it on their record, but they are of that ilk. And that's a whole other story. But you cannot fathom the degree of criminality, of drugs, of gangs. I mean, you just look at, I mean, this is even the Biden administration, DHS. You just look at their press releases and and tweets of their kind of sector chiefs, what they put out on Twitter every day. Yeah, we caught nine more gang members, uh, convicted rapist, uh, robber. But those are the rare ones they catch. These are the ones that spend ten to $20,000 to be crossed surreptitiously. Most are not caught. So typically, how do they count gotaways? If, if you didn't catch them, how do you know they're there? So they have um, aerostat blimps with sensors. They have different cameras. They have footprints that the agents are supposed to count. It's called cutting sign. And basically, the agents tell me it's a scandal in the Rio Grande Valley. They've given up. They're not counting. So most of the footprints, they don't even count. And he actually showed me cameras of like drone. They, they've caught some drones from the cartels. And on it, you could see all sorts of invasions taking place. He, he knows for a fact they're not counted in the Rio Grande Valley. He's in the Rio Grande Valley, you know, the far southeast of the border. And so the, the point is, we don't know what's coming in. So when Bill Malugin reports 446,000 gotaways in just eight months, and that's a tremendous amount, it's, it's likely double that. I, I want you to understand what the typical GOP line is now. Oh, this is why we need a Republican president. Do you understand we wouldn't get a Republican president at a minimum, until January 2025. And by the way, then they won't do anything either like they didn't do under Trump. Let's face it. The only the only reason it slowed down right before Biden and the end of Trump was the pandemic. <laughs> Without that, it was actually horrible under him. Not quite like it is under Biden, but it was worse than it ever was under Trump. Biden blew that baseline out. But that baseline was set under him. I understand the courts messed with him and whatever, but you know we went through that saga together in 2018, 2019. I spent almost a year on it. All the things he could have been doing, wasn't doing. But anyway, we can't afford, oh, let's wait till the Republican. No, no, we, we can't afford that. Okay, you can't have 100,000 illegals a month released and another... 75 to 100,000 gotaways, which are even worse, every month. You can't survive like that. Well, Danny, we don't have to wait till 2025, just till next year. Republicans take back, take back Congress. No, no, they won't. And again, even under what I want to do is to have Republicans have a shutdown fight in the budget battle. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, without control of the executive branch, you can't force him to deport. He's just going to refuse to do it. You could criminalize and block the release of people, but he's not going to deport. So they'll just they'll just let them come in by hook or by crook. I'm not saying we shouldn't engage in a budget battle, shouldn't fight it at a federal level. Republicans won't do it. But there is one or two states that have the power, and that's Texas and Arizona. It's time for them to step up and deport. Now, thankfully, in Arizona, it looks like Carrie Lake will, will wind up being governor. She's running on this. What they need is the, a state guard. So they have National Guard. They need a state guard. Texas already has one, but they're not using them for this. They need to use it for this. And in Arizona, they need to create a state guard. Can you imagine if Arizona recruited, be all you could be, Defend your own border, your own state. And that means patrolling for the gotaways and then also apprehending and deporting. Done. A state guard to do exactly that. A state guard to do exactly that. Anything short of that at this point might be stronger than what Republicans said 15 years ago. 
But because the Republicans were so subversive all those years, we are where we are now, and it calls for something greater. Anything short of that is a waste of time. Florida governor already committed. He said, look, if you guys go and do that and deport, I'll send, I'll help you. But he, that much he can't do because he's not a border state. We need an immediate special session in the Texas legislature to begin doing this. To task, and you could do both, the National Guard and the State Guard. Right now, the National Guard, there's so much noise about the Guard mission. They, they, without the power to deport, all they're doing is just handing over to the feds, and the feds release them. The feds are, it's, it's a, oh, we're helping the feds. The feds are the problem. I mean, I feel bad for the border agents. Morale is low. A lot of them are quitting. But unwittingly, they have become the arm of the cartels. They're actually more efficiently streamlining the the smuggling process for the cartels. So if you are working for um, CBP now, you are part of a smuggling operation. Sad to say, that's what it is. You're not going to fix that. You can't fix that. There's only one solution. Texas shouldn't let them come across the border to begin with. They just walk them right across the river. No one is stopping them. That's it. That's what the that's what Governor DeSantis said. Man, why can't we have that in Florida? And why the heck do we have to have term limits in Florida, but no term limits in Texas? It's like, you know, everything's against us. But anyway, Arizona's Constitution, Section 26174 authorizes the governor to establish a state guard, among other reasons, for the safety and protection of the lives and property of the citizens of the state. And then the, the federal constitution, the compact clause, is very clear about that if there's an invasion, a state has the right to repel an invasion. And yes, by the way, this is an invasion. You know, um, I just want to read to you, a border agent friend of mine sent this to me. This is 10 years old. A strategic military assessment, Texas border security. It was written by two former generals. And this is this is already 10 years ago. They note, during the past two years, the state of Texas has become increasingly threatened by the spread of Mexican cartel organized crime. The threat reflects a change in the strategic intent of the cartels to move their operations into the U.S. In effect, the cartels seek to create a sanitary zone inside the Texas border, one county deep, that will provide sanctuary for Mexican law enforcement and at the same time enable the cartels to transform Texas border counties into narcotic ship transshipment points for continued transport um, and distribution. To achieve this objective, the cartels are relying increasingly on organized gangs to provide expendable and unaccountable manpower to do the dirty work. These gangs are recruited on the streets of Texas cities and inside Texas prisons by top-tier gangs. Um, drug cartels exploit porous borders using all the traditional elements of military force, including command and control, logistics, intelligence, information operations, and the application of increasingly deadly firepower. The intention is to increasingly bring governments at all levels throughout the Americas under the influence of international cartels. In the U.S., the operational level of campaign against cartel terrorism is manifested at the state. Texas has become a critical terrain Operational Ground Zero, Texas has an expansive border with the drug cartels, controlling the shipping lanes. In effect, the fight for control of the border counties along the Rio Grande has become the operational center of gravity for the cartels and federal and state and local forces that oppose them. Except the feds nowadays don't oppose them. And the point is that... This is a war. Don't tell me this is not an invasion. Okay, under anyone's definition, this meets the legal definition of an invasion. So, the point is, if you're just going to be politics as usual and focus on the midterms and focus... This is my fear. That as the months tick down, we're coming very close, where all that matters is rhinos taking over Congress... And who's going to run for president? When meanwhile, you are sitting on trifectas in a number of states, but specifically for the purpose of the all-critical invasion, sovereignty, border issue, which touches on everything from drugs to crime to cartels and gangs, culture, fiscal drain, you name it. Texas and Arizona, you have GOP trifectas. 
if you're not going to do anything, when the rationale is this strong, the public is with you, Democrats are so in the toilet that the Hispanic border voters are fleeing the Democrat Party. Like, you know, you have you have 80-20 Democrat precincts now turning to 20-80 Democrat precincts in, in the RGV. And Republicans won't take yes for an answer. And the reason is because it's not yes. They don't believe in what we believe in. Can you imagine if DeSantis would be governor of Texas? Think about the border issue. It, this, this thing would be shut down. But here we are. The best we can do. The only other governor, the only other prospect we have at this point is Arizona with Carrie Lake. And even then we got to wait till, till January. But uh, she does seem pretty committed. So, you know, that's definitely someone we can work with. Now, I want to move on to some other issues, the transhumanism, uh, Ukraine. There's a huge expose in Tablet. Tablet magazine. The billionaire family pushing synthetic sex identities, SSI. One of the most powerful yet unremarked upon drivers of our current wars over definition of gender is a concerted push by members of one of the richest families in the U.S. to transition Americans from a dimorphic definition of sex to the broad acceptance and propagation of synthetic sex identities. Over the past decade, the Pritzkers of Illinois, who helped put Obama in the White House and include among their number former U.S. Secretary of Commerce Penny Pritzker, current Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, and philanthropist Jennifer Pritzker, appear to have used a family philanthropic apparatus to drive an ideology and practice of disembodiment into our medical, legal, cultural, and educational institutions. This is very well said, um, Jennifer Billick of, uh, <clears throat> of Tablet. Kudos to, for, for, to, to her for writing this. This is what it means. It's not a matter of, oh, is Mitch McConnell going to take over Chuck Schumer? These are the masters of the universe controlling things. So you know, everyone thinks, oh, Daniel, Republicans can't be quite as bad. You can't be so down on them taking over. They're not going to pass quite as bad stuff as the Democrats do. They don't pass anything. Even the Democrats don't pass much. It's We're not governed by Congress. We're governed by people like the Pritzker family, like the Gates, like all these people. They go and imbue this medical, legal, cultural, educational institutions, and then they go and do it. So absent a concerted effort to actively combat it with politics and law, to use power to meet the power like DeSantis is doing in Florida, you're going to wind up with the same outcome. Hence, you know, Democrats dominated until 1994, right? Four decades, they controlled the House. They controlled the Senate most of the time. They controlled most governors and state legislatures. Even like in what we consider red states, you actually had Democrats in charge of the legislature. We really had one dominant party. 1994 changed that. For most of our life, Republicans controlled the House. They had some periods of trifecta. And, and they've controlled half the states in a way that they never did really since the kind of Coolidge era. And maybe McKinley. Okay. And we've gotten nothing for it. And a good day, they do nothing to stop it, which is worthless. And they block any effort that we have to stop it. And a bad day, they downright help it. And they often do. The other important thing about this story is COVID fascism is not just about COVID fascism. It's a broader umbrella transhumanism. In other words, the rainbow jihad and COVID fascism seem to be very different different disparate issues like okay one's a medical tyranny one is uh gender bending and and like you know social licentiousness cultural rock gut but no it's part of the same thing because yes they are culturally depraved but we're we're beyond the culturally depraved period of time it's not even the point anymore everyone is heck even those who call themselves conservative republicans are culturally depraved i mean we don't have we have very few godly you know biblical believing Christians and Jews left in this country. And even those who call themselves that often don't live a life like that. And it's a sad reality. We're beyond that. It's a transhumanism. It's not so much, oh, we like, you know, doing all things licentious and, you know, everything's about sex. I mean, that started in the 60s with the sexual revolution. This is transhumanism. So the whole experimentation 
that they control our bodies, the mask wearing, so we're faceless, androgynous beings, submissive robots. It's the same thing. It comes from the same place. So I want I want to point to that um, that point there with the introduction of this article. Again, the billionaire family pushing synthetic sex identities. Tablet magazine. Read the whole thing. With the introduction of SSI, the current incarnation of the LGFU whatever network is distinct from the prior movement that fought for equal rights for gay and lesbian Americans. Okay, that's his way of framing or her way of framing it, not mine. Uh, but she is making my point that it's a different agenda and which ended in 2020 with the Bostock v. Clinton County. Yeah, that was Gorsuch's sucky opinion. Um, the idea that humans are not a sexually dimorphic species which contradicts reality and the fundamental premises not only of traditional religions but of even gay and lesbian... See, she's trying to play up that, oh, they're harming the, the, the traditional gay and lesbian movement. And she's not wrong in the sense that, you know, the former was just anti-biblical licentiousness, sodomy, and this is just transhumanism. It is different, but I I will also note, and I don't know what the author's politics are. I'm not here to bash her, but in general, that's what most conservatives believe. They're all for the homosexual agenda. Like, oh, this is too far. Now that's fine. Give you know if for the if you are gonna, going to legitimately fight the transhumanism, but. Just know that the only reason why we are here is because you tossed that fight too. Nor does it make it right to acquiesce to that either. But that's just me. I'm just one of these like traditional old-fashioned people that just believes like, dude, you know, the same way you groom the transgenderism, you groom that as well. You do any poll on the number of people that supposedly identify as that, somehow it skyrocketed recently. And if that was really, you're, you're born that way and you can't help it, you know, really? Then why would you see such a generational difference? So that is the transhuman agenda. Then you have the story of Ukraine. And the story of Ukraine also comes from the same desire to disrupt the world, disrupt supply changes, and captivate us into their agenda. All ties in together. So what do we get for our $50 billion? Ukraine is getting crushed. More people are dying. Russia is achieving their objective. Every day, if, I'm not even saying I care, but if your objective is to deter Russia the most, and that's like your big thing, every day you allow this to go on and, and you know, don't pull the plug on supporting Zelensky, they're actually going to pick up more land that they're never going to get back. Okay, you could have just given Donovan's area, um, Crimea, the, the Crimea they had already, and commit not to join NATO, and now you're just, you know, you're going to keep losing more territory. But Ukraine has permanently banned the opposition party. Okay? It's called For Life, the party. We received the second most votes in the last parliamentary elections. The 8th Administrative Court of Appeal upheld Zelensky administration's decision to ban the party. No journalists were allowed in the court. Hmm. Real nice. Now we know why the Western oligarchs love Ukraine so much. See, I was told, even though strategically, if anything... Russia is more of a bulwark against the masters of the universe. I'm not saying we should ally with him. I'm just saying you have to contend with his existence, and it's not in our best interest to literally go to war with him because it's just a complicated world, and that's not where we need to expend our political capital. But, you know, we were told, no, anyone who's a dictator, we have to fight. Evil. Assad's a dictator, so we have to fight him even though you're going to, you know, tilt the power towards... Al-Qaeda and ISIS and whatever. A dictator. We can't, we can't have, we have to spread democracy. You tell me how Zelensky is any different than Putin in the way he runs a country. No, Daniel, you don't understand Ukraine. He's got to do that. Oh, really? And yet, 90% of elected Republicans bought into Ukraine. 
when it mattered. Now, slowly, slowly, the more conservative elements are like, yeah, we kind of got our lunch eaten on that. They're, they, they've, they've been silent. You know, Jim Jordan was like, Zelensky is like the greatest thing a lot. He, he won't tweet that anymore, but thanks, Jim. It's too late now. And you know what? It will be too late on the next issue, the next hotness that they give into. Every time. Every time they give in to the new hotness. There's another important article I wanted to go over on Ukraine. By the way, just on the back to the transhumanism, the Navy put out a video. There's a training video to create a safe space using proper gender pronouns in the Navy. So again, that ship is sa- that that ship has sailed. Our military is gone. You could yell, call me names, call me extremists, call me anything you want. Anything short of red states creating their own state militias and that more or less becomes the landing place for the good men in the military and eventually we start bulking them up and what we do with them to be determined. But uh, anything short of that is a waste of time. Okay, that's just a reality. Anything short of that is a waste of time. You will never... Oh no, who's going to run? Think about it. We're sitting and debating who's going to run for president when it won't be relevant policy-wise, till 2025. You think you're going to fix that? Even if we took control tomorrow, you're not going to solve this stuff at a federal level. But you think you can allow this cancer to grow till 2025? And somehow it's going to change? But anyway, why is it that they're so keen on Ukraine? Let me say this. To all you stupid people out there, that get caught in to the next hotness, even conservatives, just know if there is a visceral rallying around an issue, it's coming from a bad place and don't get sucked into it next time. This is from the Daily Mail. Britain's top army general has told his troops to prepare to fight and beat Putin's armies in a European land war. It has emerged tonight. General Sir Patrick Sanders who assumed overall command of the British Army this week, warned soldiers, we are are the generation that must prepare the army to fight in Europe once again as Russia's invasions of Ukraine rocks global security. I am the first chief of general staff since 1941 to take command of the army in the shadow of a land war in Europe involving continental power. The scale of enduring threat from Russia shows we've entered a new era of insecurity. Now, those of us who live in the real world... You look at all the problems going on, and you're like, again, you don't have to love Putin. None of us do. You could even dislike him, hate him. But just from a strategic assessment, why is there this obsession with Russia? I want you guys to think about this, dating already back to the whole Russia hoax with Trump and Mueller. Why? It's just, it's just so weird. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like, let me say this. Zimbabwe, Mugabe, the Zimbabwe regime, horrible. And that's really what we're turning into, by the way. They actually banned all natural supplements there. Not just ivermectin, but like vitamin D. They're like, I mean, it's crazy. And obviously, you know, they've had this apartheid against whites forever. But let's say I said to you, okay, guys, you don't understand. Zimbabwe is just where it's at. You can't deny he's evil. He's a dictator. He's horrible. He's the biggest communist around. But you'd be like, really? I mean, that guy, that's a strategic, I mean, that's that's where it's at. It's like, it, where is this coming from? He's a bad actor, but something is really bizarre about that, that they're hyping him up. Now, by the way, when they say we have to prepare for another land war, they invoke World War II, invoke the German paradigm, that, that's actually a cat call to America to get our boys involved. Just so you know, they ain't getting, France and Germany and, 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 and England, they ain't getting their people involved. That's all a signal to America. They're playing us. Because notice, they've barely given Jack. We're, we're shouldering 95% of the burden so far. And this is their territory, right? So they're not, they're not stupid. They're not stupid at all. 
But there's a reason why they're grooming people into this thing that Russia is the biggest threat. Not China. Notice it's not China. It's Russia. Putin is going to get you everywhere. Now, I want you to think about everything that's wrong in our lives. The medical tyranny. The whole woke um, umbrella insanity. Cultural Marxism. The border. Crime. Man is woman. Criminal is victim. Cure is poison. Poison is cure. A world turned upside down. The transhumanism. In a way we couldn't imagine. The amount of gain of function. Both pathogens and bioweapon vaccines that they're working on as we speak. How much of that is being done by Putin? Name me everything that's bad in your life. The only thing they try to say is inflation. But no, that is what we were doing. That is our response to it. If, if Folks, look, I, I think Iran is a threat. I think North Korea is a threat. I think China certainly is a threat. But even those don't come to the level of the threat level of our own freaking government and all the Western oligarchs. Now, with that said, now maybe you could appreciate why is it that they hate Putin so much? Again, don't sense that you're pro, I'm not pro anything. I'm the one who's always felt we should have a strong nuclear triad deterrent against Russia, and I still do to an extent, but it's just not our main, our biggest focused focus. But then the day, remember that World Health Organization, the World Health Council debate over the Biden amendments supported by Australia, Canada, Western Europe, to create this kind of ad hoc international COVID fascism treaty. Think about who fought it: India. Africa, even Iran, and Russia. Which country is the most powerful, has the most powerful military, and I'd say, you know, their economy was always a paper tiger, never recovered, but natural resources, certainly, and that's Russia. But obviously, they're not worried about, you know, African countries, Again, this doesn't mean I'm pro-Putin. It doesn't mean I think, oh my God, may God, I, 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 I whisper private prayers, may God bless Putin as our Lord and Savior. Like, no. We need to take our own power back. If we just merely made the red states red and declared sanctuary from all this morass, we could evacuate from ourselves that way and I don't give a darn what's going on in Russia or isn't going on. But I'm just telling you, if you put yourself in the shoes of the NATO dirtbags, World Economic Forum dirtbags, and that's what they are, NATO is trash. NATO, NATO is today's Soviet Union. That's the irony. NATO is the communists. Russia is, I mean, he's authoritarian, but so is America and Canada and all of the Western world and certainly Ukraine. NATO is more communist than Putin and Russia. So I think we we very much know why all these people have a diabolical, almost like disproportionate obsession with Putin. Again, see, if I'm if I'm a French leader, German leader, Brit British leader, and I'm just legitimately worried about a strategic land-based threat from Russia. I would look at the war and laugh at them. On the one hand, they're strong enough to get their majority areas where the people support them. But they can't even take Kiev at the end of the day. The notion that they're going to that they have the desire and ability to march across Europe, they're a paper tiger. And that's actually a good thing. So go home, fine, you're good. And if you really care about the Ukrainian people, even if you didn't see it when I originally said it, the Israelis, despite their alliance with Ukraine, told them from day one, the Israeli prime minister was like, look, you know, the best way to save lives is to give in to their demands. You know, they're lost anyway. Don't join NATO. Give them the Russian areas. Crimea was lost a long time ago. Well, you're not, you're not, you're not getting, back, getting that back. But Europe propped them up. And they gaslit America, of course, to do all the dirty work for them, as they always do. Idiots. 
Why? And the answer is because in their view, it's very clear from what they're saying, they view Putin as the strongest counterbalance to this great transhuman takeover of the entire world. Now, the solution isn't to go and fight for Putin. The solution is just to be done with that, divest from this war, stop sending money over there. And rather than focus on the global scene, focus on why is it that the red counties and red states don't reflect the leadership of someone like Ron DeSantis? Why is he the anomaly? We're going to talk a little bit more about that tomorrow with when we get into Idaho. Um, I have more COVID stuff. Didn't get to that today. But again, as always, send this to every one of your friends and relatives and neighbors and coworkers. Get them the truth. Get them what matters with CR Podcast. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.